Good morning. Hey, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 4 this morning, uh, looking at a text. It's on page 863 of the Bible uh, in the chair in front of you, if you want to follow along. Um, So this Three Years with Jesus series that we're doing, every main text we're looking at every Sunday comes from one one of the four Gospels. And so... In our Bibles, we have uh, what, are, what has come to be known as the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you're newer to the Bible, uh, the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels, coming from the word similar because they're very similar. Uh, and so those three Gospels tell a lot of similar stories. And then along comes John who tells a whole bunch of stories that we don't find in the other three Gospels, and uh, John, he just had to be different. Uh, And so he he tells all kinds of stories that we don't find in the other Gospels. And the story we're going to look at today is one of them. It's about a royal official who comes to Jesus. And starting in verse 46, it says, Once more he, being Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And so this is another story that is only found in the Gospel of John. So if you look back, uh, John 1 is very unique to John. Uh, John is talking about Jesus and he describes him as the Word and uh, and this eternal, uh, beautiful, creative, energizing force of the universe that became flesh, became one of us. And then in John 2, in John's gospel, it's the first miracle we see Jesus perform. In John 2, he's at a wedding, and the host of the wedding runs out of wine. Now, what good is that? Uh, And so, Jesus's mother comes to Jesus and says, you need to help out here, pal. And he's like, woman, it's not my time. Uh, And so Jesus' mother says to the servants, do whatever he says. And so Jesus performs this miracle and turns water into wine, and it was way better than the wine they just ran out of. And everybody's like, oh my goodness, usually people pull out the bad wine after everyone's had too much to drink. Yes, it says that in the Bible. Uh, and Jesus makes this wine that is fantastic way better than the wine they just ran out of. And so this is a story unique uh, to the Gospel of John. And then he goes from there, and there's a couple of interactions, and he ends up in John 4 in a Samaritan village. Now, we've talked a bit about the Samaritans here, and if you remember, they, they are despised by the Jewish people. The Jewish people want nothing to do with the Samaritans. And here's Jesus hanging out in a Samaritan village. His disciples go off to get some food, and a woman comes to the well at the heat of the day to get water. And Jesus starts to have a conversation with her. And she's going to draw water. Why is she coming in the middle of the day? Well, many people believe it's because uh, not, not only are Samaritans despised, but this, this woman is probably despised in her own village because she has had five husbands, and now she's living with a man who's not her husband. And so she's avoiding the other women by coming at the heat of the day to get water. And Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. This is unheard of, that a Jew would have a conversation 
with a Samaritan woman, let alone a Jewish rabbi. But this Jewish rabbi, Jesus, engages in conversation with the outcast, with those on the outside. And he engages in conversation with her. And he starts telling her, listen, you, you're, you came here for water, but I, I can give you living water. Jesus uses these metaphors to help us to begin to understand this beautiful thing he has come to offer us. And he says, the, the water I'll give you, it'll never run out. It'll never run out. It'll always sustain you. When you are at your lowest, when you are beaten down, run down, I will offer you drink that will sustain you. And then the disciples come back and they're shocked that he's talking to this woman and they offer him food and and he says, I have food you know not of. So not only is there living water, he's, he's talking about a sustenance from God that will sustain us. And then... He goes from there and ends up back in Cana of Galilee, where he performed this miracle, water to wine. So he would have been known there. People would have been talking. The word would have gotten out. This guy, he turned water into wine. And he returns, and there is this royal official who has heard of Jesus. And the royal official whose son lay sick, verse 46, at Capernaum. So 20 miles away. Capernaum from Cana. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. So this man travels 20 miles because he's heard of Jesus. He's heard of the types of things Jesus is doing. And he goes and begs Jesus to heal his son. Now this is remarkable on a number of levels. First, because this is a royal official, that means he works for who? Rome. He is employed by Rome, the most powerful nation on the planet, the world empire, Rome. That's who he's employed by. He has servants, he is wealthy, he has everything you could want, except what he most deeply longs for. Here's the thing, next slide, Uh, Rome, can't offer what this father most desperately longs for. The health of his son, who is laying at home, dying. So this man is willing to risk his job, his reputation, to go to this Jewish rabbi and beg him. This man who is used to giving orders to servants, and those servants follow his orders, he comes to a Jewish rabbi and begs him to heal his son. I wonder for us, what what is it you most deeply long for that you know can't be provided by anything this world has to offer? Uh, What does it look like for us to go to Jesus with our deep longings and lay them before him? This is what this royal official does when he comes to Jesus. Verse 40, he pegs Jesus. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. This, this kind of seems like it comes out of left field, right? Uh, this royal official comes and begs Jesus uh, to heal his son, and Jesus is like, well, if you people, you need to see signs and wonders or you'll never believe. What's that about? Uh, 
he says you people, which is plural, he's not just talking to the royal official. And so here's what I think is going on here. He has performed this miracle not long ago of turning water into wine. And they're like, hey, you're the guy who can turn water into wine. And, and so there's this like, sense of all the people around him, like, that guy, he's back. The, the, the Jewish rabbi who can do these wonders and miracles, like, here he is. And, and Jesus is probably exasperated by that because that's not why he came. That, that wasn't the point of coming and being amongst us. It wasn't to just, hey, here's some magic tricks. What do you think? Uh, these wonders are to reveal the creator God of the universe. It was only a small aspect of his coming among us. So here, here's a thought. Don't mistake the signs for the thing itself. So uh, next slide. We've, uh, my family and I have been here for seven years, and it, it took us uh, almost that long to go to Yosemite. Uh, we, we had heard about it. We had seen pictures, uh, but it wasn't until, I guess it was a little over five years, we finally made it to Yosemite. Uh, not last summer, but the summer before. And um, what if we would have driven to Yosemite, to, to the entrance to Yosemite, took a picture of the sign and said, saw it, done, check it off the list. Uh, no way. I mean, the sign's cool. I want to get a picture in front of the sign, maybe, but it's not the thing itself. It's not the beauty, the majesty, the glory of Yosemite which our God created and made, that we get to see and experience. The God, the creator God of the universe, who reveals God's self through the creation. All you have to do, I mean, Yosemite is amazing, but all you have to do is look outside and God is speaking. God is revealed. And so I wonder if sometimes we mistake the sign for the thing itself. Jesus is inviting us into something so much more. So let's not mistake the signs for the thing itself. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. This is another just remarkable uh, showing of this royal official's humility before Jesus. He begs him, he calls him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. So here, a uh, couple of things around this. Uh, it's remarkable, he took Jesus at his word and departed. So he didn't need to see the signs, he just simply trusted. He hasn't seen his son yet. But he took Jesus at his word. Uh, Imagine for a moment, you are somebody in the crowd. You're a Galilean. Uh, we know historically that the Galileans were quite poor. Uh, struggled to get by day in and day out. Imagine this royal official coming with his entourage in. What, what are you feeling as you look at this royal official? 
here's a guy who has everything, and now he's come to our town to talk to the guy who can turn water into wine. He's coming to our town, and he's demanding a hearing with Jesus. And uh, all the Galileans are, are wearing the same clothes they've been wearing for years. They're just struggling to get by. And here comes this royal official in all his beautiful garb, in a horse and carriage, his servants. What, what are you thinking of this royal official and his wealth compared to your poverty? Lynn Twist, I uh, was introduced to this, this book recently, uh, The Soul of Money. Um, be a good read for everyone in Marin County. Uh, the soul of money. Uh, she tells a story in this book. And I want to read part of it to you. She tells a story about how she uh, deeply, deeply admired Mother Teresa. And uh, she traveled to Delhi at one point uh, to meet with some representatives of the World Bank to talk about a hunger initiative she was involved in. And a friend said, hey, uh, I can get you in to see and meet with Mother Teresa. And so she went to meet with Mother Teresa. She's sitting at a table talking with Mother Teresa, having this amazing conversation. And behind her, she hears this scuffling and these loud noises. And she turns around, and what she sees is uh, this um, very wealthy Indian couple walk in. And I want to read to you what happens. She says, with no greeting at all to me or to Mother Teresa, the loud woman shoved a camera into my hand as she and her husband pulled Mother Teresa from her chair and situated her against the wall between them. Then they pushed in like giant grotesque bookends on either side of Mother Teresa and demanded a photograph. We didn't get a picture, we need to have a picture, the woman complained loudly. And she motioned for me to snap a photo with her camera. I was livid. The beauty of my moment with Mother Teresa was shattered in the rage I felt now at these rude and opulent intruders. As I snapped the photo, the tall woman fussed at Mother Teresa to look up toward her for a second shot. Mother Teresa was bent over at the neck from old age and osteoporosis. But without hesitating, the woman put her hand under, under Mother Teresa's chin and forced it up. Shocked that anyone would treat Mother Teresa that way, but wanting them gone, I snapped the second photo. The woman then snatched her camera, and she and her husband, without so much as a thank you to Mother Teresa or to me, disappeared in a noisy rush back down the hallway. Mother Teresa returned to her chair by the table and continued as if nothing had happened. Finishing her thoughts on the topic of our earlier conversation, but I could hardly hear her. I was so full of anger and outrage toward this couple. And she goes on to talk about how she uh, processed this as she was uh, riding in the car back to her hotel. And uh, when she got back home, she was still wrestling with this. So she writes Mother Teresa a letter saying, I am really struggling with that encounter. It, would you be willing to offer me some counsel around this anger and rage I'm feeling towards this couple? And 
uh, Lynn Twist continues, in her reply, she admonished me, saying that while I had expressed compassion for the poor, the sick, the faint, and the weak all my life, that would always be a place where my self-expression and service would easily flourish. The vicious cycle of poverty, she said, has been clearly articulated and is widely known. What is less obvious and goes almost completely unacknowledged is the vicious cycle of wealth. There is no recognition of the trap wealth so often is and the suffering of the wealthy. You must open your heart to them and become their student and their teacher, she said to her. Open your compassion and include them. This is an important part of your life's work. Do not shut them out. They also are your work. Uh, Mother Teresa, talk about, next slide, the poverty of wealth, uh, the, the suffering of the wealthy. Uh, when we look at Jesus and his life, what we see in Jesus is most often he's hanging out with the outcast. He's hanging out with the poor. He's hanging out with the quote-unquote sinner. He, he is with those on the outside and those on the underside of power. But he does not forget about the wealthy. He does not leave the rich and cast them aside. And we see that in Jesus' heart for this royal official and his son. Uh, I wonder what it looks like for us in one of the wealthiest counties in the world to think about the poverty of wealth and what that means for us, how we handle our own money, how we look at those who we can so easily judge when we see how much wealth they have. Uh, and instead, begin to see their humanity, that they are every bit as much a child of God as you and I are. And how do we begin to see their humanity and the layers of pain that may reside there underneath the wealth? Uh, this royal official comes to Jesus, and Jesus meets him where he's at and responds with love and compassion. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. Uh, there's a progression here of faith for this royal official. He hears about Jesus. He goes to him. He begs him to come and heal his son. He ends up taking Jesus at his word and arriving and seeing his son living. When Jesus says, your son will live, and when the text says that his son was living, the word there it isn't just about physical health. It's a holistic idea of life to the full. This is a mental, spiritual, emotional, physical way of being in the world, a holistic health view of reality. 
And so what Jesus comes to offer and what he gives to this boy is not just physical health, but holistic life to the fullest. This is a big part of what Jesus comes to offer us, is a different way of being human, a more full life. Um, the question remains for me. I, we all in this room know someone in our lives. Maybe it's us. Uh, maybe it's someone close to us. We, we know someone in our lives who are struggling physically. Who are, uh, we have prayed for their healing. And they are not healed. Uh, so a question for me when reading this text is, uh, what if the royal official's son had not been healed? How would he have responded? We, we don't know. But it's a question that comes for me. And as I wrestle with it, uh, one of the conclusions I come to, one of the thoughts I come to, if we can go to the last slide, Rebecca, is uh, whether your circumstances Stances change or not, the question is, am I being changed? If so, how? I think the constant invitation from Jesus is for a changed heart. That our heart will grow more and more in love with Jesus. That our hearts will be bent more and more toward the divine. That whatever our life circumstances, uh, we often cannot change them. Uh, this, I, I love the opening of the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. The courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. There's a whole lot we cannot change, so God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Uh, what does it look like for us to accept reality, to accept the things we can't change, but to know I can't change anyone in my life, but I can be a part of the change God wants to do in my own heart and life. Will I submit to God's love to God's loving embrace, holding me and inviting me to be changed more and more and more like him. This is the constant invitation from God to say yes to the change we are being invited into and that we would live more fully into that change each day. So as we come this morning and take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup, I, I want to invite us to reflect on this question. Am I being changed? If so, how? Or, or maybe uh, phrase a little differently, uh, God, what, what is the change you're inviting me into? In what way are you inviting me to change my heart, to change my mind, to look more like you? Because it was on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
that he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this, this is my body given for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This, my friends, is a sign. Don't mistake the sign for the real thing. But here's the thing. Somehow, beautifully, mysteriously, when we come and partake of this sign, we can experience the real thing. Because he is here. He is among us. He is in us. So, so come and, and engage with the sign. But more than that, experience the real thing. Experience the risen Christ within all of us and in our midst in beautiful and powerful ways. God, we thank you. We thank you for signs. Thank you for symbols. Thank you for stories. But more than that, God, allow us to experience the real thing in you. God, this morning, speak into our inner being by your spirit and reveal to us the the change you are inviting us into. Show us a better way forward. God, help us to love those who we find difficult to love. Help us to forgive. Help us to forgive ourselves and others. And God, help us to walk in the way you invite us into. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.